1: Hello and welcome to the EDH Retcast. My name is Joey Schultz, and I'm joined as always by my fantastic
0: co-hosts. First up, he puts the jump in Jumpstart. It's Matt Morgan. So I figured out why Adele crossed the road the other day. Um, She wanted to say hello from the other side.
1: Okay, I I don't know how I didn't see that coming. As soon as you set up that joke, that's you're welcome. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, Next. The guy who puts the start in jump startled because guys, didn't we just do a set review?
2: That's Dana Roach. I had some computer problems this week, so um, I had my uh, core power set fried out, and I was not able to jump start my um, hard drive. So I'm running on two different laptops here to record this setup, which I think makes me a double laptop master. Stop. That that. Was a journey and I loved every <laughs> second of it. That was brilliant.
1: <laughs> You're here for it, Joey? I'm here for it. Anyway, this is the EDH Rec Cast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, we're going to give all that data a
2: little more context. Hey, Dana, what are we talking about this week? We're talking about Jumpstart, the uh, best commander pre con of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: I honestly adore that description because, yeah, this this set has all of us really, really fired up. Maybe that's why your computer broke, because even your computer that, that was could too be, excited right. about this set. Uh, but before we get to our main topic, we have to give an enormous thank you to Josh Lee Kwai and the folks over there at the Command Zone, who handle all of the post-production work on our podcast, making it look as awesome as it does. And, of course, we'd love to give a huge shout-out to our sponsors for the show as well.
0: So our sponsors, as always, Card Kingdom and TCGPlayer.com, two amazing sponsors. They help bring the show to everyone out there. Uh, If you need any magic cards, since you're listening to a magic podcast, it would only make sense to support the podcast you're listening to by going to CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC or by clicking on the TCG TCG Player price link on the website. That will take you right to your preferred vendor. You can get the cards you're going to purchase anyways, but you help support the show in the process. That's CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC and TCG Player are great sponsors.
1: Yeah, we're going to be talking about all these Jumpstart cards from new cards to the actual product itself to the reprints in this set, which, oh man, so if you want any of those, definitely use those affiliate links. Click on the price links on EDHREC. And and let's actually, so Jumpstart is a really cool product where you've, you're basically playing the game Smash Up. You're taking two packs of who knows what they're going to be. They'll have different themes around them and then you shuffle them up together and then bang, you've got a deck ready to play against someone else. A cool 40 card Situation—it's you know it takes the time out of drafting. This is really, really awesome. I really enjoyed the game Smash Up, um, and it's cool to see Magic's spin on that. As you guys know, I've got the uh, the partner decks that I also call my own personal Smash Up, where I have two 50-card decks for different partners, such as Rayhan, Last of the Abzon or Tana the Bloodsower, and then you can just pick those up, shuffle them together, and then play them. So I I really love this format. Not only that, but I love the cards in it. Let's start with just. The, the reprints in this
2: set, because they're off the hook. This set's incredible, and we barely got started. The, the reprints are crazy, and they're almost all reprints that are just universally sought after in a whole bunch of different decks. Like, in, in the past, and of course, we've had, you know, things like Scape Shift. That's a, that's a really good card, and it was expensive, and we needed a reprint. But the decks that actually want Scapeshift Shift are fairly limited, Omniscience is a great card, but like people just generally aren't running Omniscience as a value piece in a generic deck. It's part of a, a, a suite of cards you're using to cheat things into play in a very specific deck. These are almost all cards that can go anywhere, and they're just really good. Rhystic Study, any blue deck can run that. A lot of people want it. Pat the Exile. I mean, Frexian Tower. These are just almost all cards that have really, really broad universal appeal, and it's going to be really helpful to a lot of Commander players' pocketbooks
0: to see the price on these drop.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, absolutely. Yeah, the, the reprints are just—they're uh, so good. Like as, combined with the new cards, it's better than I think than most supplemental products we probably have ever gotten. And Conspiracy was great. Uh, Battle Bond was amazing, but it's really hard to compete with Jumpstart. It's probably one of my favorite products just in general. That I think WotC's come out with since I got back into the game, at least. I mean, you you have stuff like Exquisite Blood finally got reprinted, and Atali uh, Shieldred, all those praetors and just awesome cards. It's so cool to see, and it's easy to get distracted by the reprints. But there are new cards, actually, believe it or not, and those are awesome too.
1: They they are. But you, you didn't even mention some of the cards I thought you would, Matt, because Oracle of Moldiah in this is is in the set. Greater Hoof Behemoth is in the set. Or for the necromantic people like me, Rise of the Dark Realms is in this set too. I know that the availability on this product and also the way that the cards are within the packs may not affect the price as much as some other different types of products, but I'm just happy for players to be able to get their hands on some of these cards because they're so awesome. Wizards, whoever's designing this product, Put them in charge of the commander Precons too, maybe. Just an idea. I'm so excited about this. Like, those alone would make it great. But the new cards, Matt, like you mentioned, they're also awesome. We've even got a bunch of really compelling new commanders too. So let's get to those. Let's go through some of them. Dana, start us off. Who is our first commander and are you excited about it?
2: Um, you know, I, I've said on this show, almost every episode, I can't get enough unicorns. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm super hyped for uh, Emil the Blessed. Um I think it's Emil, Emil, whatever, it's a unicorn, so who cares? <laughs> Legendary unicorn, uh, two and double white. You can spend three and exile another target creature you control and turn it to the battlefield under its owner's control. That isn't a tap ability. That's just spend three mana and do it. Um, whenever another creature enters battlefield under your control, you may pay hybrid... Um, Selesnia, and if you do put a plus one counter on it and if it's a unicorn put two plus one counters on it And it's a four four for that four mana you pay as well. So we have a legendary unicorn That can be atop a unicorn deck and joking aside There's a lot of people that really want that even if I'm maybe not one of them So that's a super cool thing for a whole bunch of people in the commander sphere um, but the way the card is kind of worded it doesn't have to be a top of unicorn deck. You can very much build Selesnia Blink with this and have it be a very effective commander, even if you don't take advantage of the extra counters on top of unicorns.
1: Yeah. I, I'm not sure whether unicorns will be all that realistic until they receive more support. Yeah. By the numbers, only about 24 total unicorns exist within the game and Commander. And like the most popular one, Good Fortune Unicorn, only shows up in like 1750 decks. So it's definitely a. a tribe that needs a little bit more work. But with that said, that first ability is really crazy and very reminiscent of a card like Deadeye Navigator, where you can get infinite blinks as long as you've got the proper setup, such as Palancron effects that untap all of your lands. Obviously, you would need to be in a Bont deck for that instead of a Selesnia deck, but there are Selesnia options available too for this to go infinite, uh, such as the card Workhorse or Brood Monitor, uh, because those have ways to create mana that Emil can then use to blink the thing again and redo it so you get like a bunch of enter the battlefield triggers um this thing's really really crazy you can use cards like Hearthstone to reduce the activated ability cost i'm i i, I love this I absolutely love this. It's a better Eldrazi Displacer as a commander. Yeah, kind of. So Eldrazi Displacer can target other people's stuff, which is an important point. But as a commander, yeah, you can like block with something and then blink it. And so it's not going to die in combat too. And if you pair this with a Panharmonicon, oh my goodness, that sounds amazing. That's a lot of Avenger of Zendikar tokens. I love this.
0: Well, and and I'm with you guys. I'm not an equestrian myself, so I'm not going to be building any... Any Artax tribal horse decks, um, but it's not like it's very hard in Selesnia colors to double or add more plus one plus one counters. I mean, Hardened Scales is an extremely popular type of card. Cathars Crusade, so it's it's in the right colors that you can abuse this and and have very big armies very quickly. So it just if we're taking out all the all the tribal you know aspects of this, it's still a very good commander.
1: Yeah, I personally am also... I'm actually a little suspicious to see whether it becomes sort of an innate combo commander, given the accessibility to some of those infinite combos, but also how easily it can set up cards uh, with Persist, for example, by removing the minus one Mm -hmm. counter as soon as you blink something. So a card like Woodfall Primus can be really, really good, and we already know that there are Selesnia ways to take advantage of combos like that, such as with Melira, uh, Silphok Outcast, or the um, Devoted Druid and Vizier of Remedies deck. Uh, That's also a pretty famous combo, too. So I wonder if this might become a place where some of those particular combos sort of harbor into a single deck, um, but even if you're not playing those combos, this is still just so cool. Like this, I think would also make really great as a mono white deck. To be perfectly honest, this is a really mm-hmm. cool ability to use, even if you don't want to play
2: green at all.
0: I mean, why would you want to handicap yourself that way? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: Well, it, it as for your com- your comment about it being maybe a deck you will play with those those malaria kind of combos. It will absolutely happen, I'm sure, but unlike something um, like, say, the Madness Commander we had last year, where people tended to just do kind of the, the infinite madness loop to their their combo win, I think part of the problem there was, I don't know if madness is that interesting as a mechanic, um, and there's not that much you can do with it, aside from just going to that, that super tight combo route. I think here, people will definitely do that, but I think both unicorns as just a weird kind of meme deck is interesting enough people will want to do that and i think it's good enough as a blink commander that people can do just blink value stuff without having to necessarily feel they want to go the malaria combo route too so i think the, the, there's three paths there that are viable that will be explored in a way maybe you don't get sometimes with commanders that do have that potential to be just a com- just a combo engine. Yeah, absolutely. Alright, let's move on to our next
1: one. I know that we're gushing about meal, but there's a lot of commanders here. Let's move on. What is our next commander?
0: So the next one we got is Ineaz the Gale Force. It is 3 blue blue for a 4-4 legendary djinn. Uh, has flying and has 2 an a Zorius hybrid, which is a blue and a white. Uh, attacking creatures with flying get plus one plus one until end of turn. Notice it's not your attacking creatures, it's all attacking creatures, uh, but also has a weird triggered ability. Uh, Whenever three or more creatures you control with flying attack, each player gains control of a non-land permanent of your choice, controlled by the player to their right. This is interesting. There's a couple different things that you guys can be doing with this. I'm curious what you all think.
1: I love that this opens up a specific door for the flying, uh, tribal, quote-unquote, deck, um, because there it doesn't feel like there's ever necessarily been an actual commander for that archetype before. So, sort of in the way that Emil you know, opens up Unicorns, but then also has different applicability, this one is probably a bit more um, slaughtered into just the one direction of Flying Tribal. Um, but with that said, I'm fi- I'm so happy that we finally have a commander that can do that. And the activated, excuse me, the triggered ability is uh, weird enough to keep that type of deck interesting without it becoming monolithic. There's a lot of ways to reward Flying Tribal from cards like Favorable Winds, uh, to Gravitational Shift, to Empyrean Eagle, this is a deck that's been a long time in the making.
2: Well, in the 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 ability on there too kind of encourages you to run a a few of those cards that make the one-one, you know, Thopter tokens or bird tokens or something to give you something weak to hand off to somebody else for something better, Mm. which is interesting too. Instead of just running, you know, if this was just a flying tribal commander, it'd be very easy to just run Sphinxes and just run big beater angels. And you can definitely do that, but it also kind of encourages encourages you to branch out beyond that and run the the Amiria angel that makes bird tokens, things like that, just to have um, weak things to hand off to somebody else. And I think that's that's a clever design to encourage people to go outside the obvious uh, includes.
0: Yeah, well, and it's not that hard to make a bunch of tokens all at once too. I mean, you have cards like mm-hmm. Battle Screech and Migratory Route um, that are very good at making a lot of tokens, uh, and you can build up your teams too. I mean, like Joey said, Gravitational Shift is a very powerful card, so it's it's easy to make those flyers very very good in your deck. But as soon as you donate them to somebody else, uh, suddenly they're not that great. So it, it's I think it's actually pretty interesting deck building challenge to to undertake here. It's kind of like Kaikar minus the red. Uh, I would use kind of the advanced filters on Kaikar's page to kind of get a glimpse of what the typical Ineas deck is going to look like. All the flyers, all the flying buffs, I think it'll be a cool deck.
1: Yeah, that or Alila Artful Provocateur could also mm-hmm. be a good roadmap for when you're starting off with this particular commander before all of the data starts coming in. Um, and note too, that you can look in some strange places. They don't have to be necessarily just the uh, traditional spells that make you know spirit tokens or bird tokens. You can also maybe look for some cards that create a lot of thopters. Uh, so seeking through some of the artifact pages can also be yeah. very, very useful. I do personally worry that maybe the last ability reads as a little bit too enticing when it might actually not be as practical necessarily necessarily i don't know i'm comparing the ability to admiral beckett brass in my mind which i haven't seen trigger very often but with that said admiral beckett brass doesn't have spells that can create pirates necessarily like a whole bunch at once so maybe that's a thing to be aware of i i guess like, I, I don't know. I just, I wouldn't rely, I wouldn't sculpt the deck too much to be focused on that last ability where you are intentionally giving away something that is detrimental to an opponent. For example, the new card, Nine Lives, could be an interesting inclusion in this deck that you want to give away to someone else, specifically to Cyclonic Rift it away so that that player immediately loses the game. But going too far into that strategy might be a little bit risky for Inez, And so I'm not sure if you want to actually sculpt the deck to have the bad cards to give away rather than just using it uh, as it is advantageous as the game progresses naturally.
0: I mean, I, I think you... You can take out that ability and it's still going to be a, a fairly powerful commander. I mean, being able to pump the team, it's, that's pretty solid already. Uh, so I think you could take that ability out. I think it's just purely gravy. If you, if you want to build the NES deck, um, either you're going to make it work and you're going to put a lot of effort into that weird ability, uh, but there's also a world more flyers than there are pirates compared to Beckett Brass. So... I don't think it'll be near as hard to trigger compared to, to Beckett Brass.
1: Yeah, and if it does uh, you know, become pretty good to do that, you can use cards like Illusions of Grandeur that you can give away to an opponent, and when Ooh. that goes away, they Ooh. lose a bunch of life. Or uh, a Pendant of Prosperity is kind of an interesting one that you can give away to an opponent and then retake control of to get double effects off of the Pendant of Prosperity ability. Um, or at, at worst-case scenario, use cards like Grasp of Fate enchantments that come in, exile everyone else's stuff, and it doesn't matter if you give those away. Who cares about that if you don't own them? The stuff is still exiled, so you can find neat benefits there, too. Uh, Definitely a a lot of fun. I'm so happy that this is a door that has been opened. Um, Speaking of things that make me happy, let's go to our next one. This is Kel's Fight Fixer. Oh, man. Kel's Fight Fixer is a 4-mana 4-3 Azra Warlock with Menace. Whenever you sacrifice a creature, immediately perks up Joey's ears. You may pay a hybrid uh, demir that's a blue or black. If you do, you draw a card, and you can pay 1 generic mana, sacrifice a creature, and Kel's Fight Fixer gains Indestructible until end of turn. So it is a Sacrifice outlet that can draw you cards i mean you know that i like it where are you guys
2: at i i I know you like it because it lets you play a demir deck that's really a actos deck and you can be like (laughs) hey i'm doing something different i'm playing (laughs) demir
1: yeah I do in every possible color identity I do have ways to sacrifice my own creatures for value now Um, from Taysa Karlov to there's Judith if I wanted to do some aristocrats this is Demir aristocrats now which just makes me absurdly happy I will admit I'm not too happy that it does cost you mana to sacrifice the creatures because I usually sacrifice them for free but with that said like you can use a Phyrexian altar to help pay for that ability so maybe it's not all that bad
0: yeah I mean it's it's a very powerful effect Uh, the fact that they they tempered it back and you can only draw one card per sacrificed creature and it does cost a little bit of mana to to do so. Um, it's a perfectly fine, perfectly fair, but still powerful effect on a commander. Um, it's interesting to see it in Demir. I don't think we've seen an aristocrats style commander for those color pairs yet. Um, so that'll be interesting. See what kind of gateways it opens up. Um, but yeah, I, I like it. I think it's going to be an interesting deck to play against.
1: It's it's funny that you say that because I actually think that this one also has the ability to go a little bit bonkers if you get infinite mana. Um, because I'm fairly certain that and uh, that Kells can like if you find a way to collect infinite mana in some way, which we know there are tons of them here in EDH. Uh, Kells can sacrifice herself. And then use the trigger to draw a card, and then you can recast Kell's almost like Brea, Ethereum Shaper, continually recasting herself and then sacrifice and cast and sacrifice herself. All of that to draw your entire library, and if you have infinite mana and all your entire library in your hand, you're certainly winning that game. I think that there's also that potential with her too, so keep an eye on that. But if you are going for more of the Demir Aristocrats, there are plenty of ways uh, to work with this from all of the different token makers like Endrixar and Ophiomancer or... Reef Worm and Chasm Skulker also sound like a lot of fun to make a lot of blue tokens. But not only that, you can look forward to cards with Exploit, uh, like Sidisi Undead, Undead Vizier or Profaner of the Dead, and cards with Evoke, like Moldrifter. So there's also just some clever stuff that the Demir color combination is bringing to that aspect, too. And so, yeah, sacrificing your stuff is good. This is great. I'm looking forward to seeing the deck you build with this, Joey. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I might need... <laughs> to calm down with the aristocrats, but we'll see. I do think it would be a very great challenge to have aristocrats in every single color combination. And again, this is opening up new doors and that's what makes me so happy about this product.
2: It can also do pretty good work in 99, most likely probably in of the Black Rose, but it will be a really good card in that deck as well.
0: Yeah, well, and and speaking of opening new doors to different types of decks, um, we finally have what I think is a, a decent Minotaur tribal commander, uh, Sethron, Herloon General, Uh, three red red for a 4-4 Minotaur warrior. Whenever Sethron, Herloon General, or another non-token Minotaur enters the battlefield under your control, you create a 2-3 red Minotaur token that you can pay to an Rakdos hybrid, which is a black and a red. Minotaurs you control get plus one, plus oh, and gain menace and haste until end of turn. I think this might finally be a, a, like I said, decent... Minotaur tribal commander. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, Neheb wasn't really doing it.
0: No, no. (laughs) I I don't think there was anything that really made Neheb a a tribal commander even. It was just kind of like, okay, what's a decent Minotaur that's a legend? This actively benefits you. I mean, giving menace and haste to your team is pretty powerful, I think
1: yeah well and the blink ability here too if you pair that with a conjurer's closet mm-hmm. or a panharmonicon that can also be a nice way to actually accrue a lot of minotaurs because there are only 76 uh, black and red minotaurs in the game in the first place some of them are really great to like Ragemonger helps reduce the cost or fell petrifier can give them all death touch um, but still it is a pretty limited pool um, so using maybe some blink stuff uh, could be a great way to take advantage of this type of ability
0: yeah when you combine that with perforos or impact tremors too and granted Perfrost gets silly with a lot of cards, but this is just another way to, to really push it over the edge.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I got to say, maybe barring Blink, since that isn't quite a Rakdos thing, maybe just some good old-fashioned reanimation would be really cool. Like if all of your Minotaurs die, oh no, you can play a Patriarch's bidding and bring all of the Minotaurs back and then you get a whole bunch of Sethron triggers. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. It seems really spicy. Does Joey like reanimation too much? Probably,
2: but that's also <laughs> still really good. And you're also in red where you have access to some really good tribal synergy cards like Shared Animosity and Mana Echoes. Uh, shared is just going to be a win condition. And Mano Echoes is just going to be a really great way to get more cards into play, so that's pretty useful there, too. It's going to be a fun um, Minotaur Tribal Commander for people that have wanted that for a while. And speaking of things people have wanted for a while, um, we have Naeth of the, of the Dire Hunt, excuse me, uh, two green green for a human warrior. Whenever one or more creatures you control fight or become blocked draw a card and at the beginning of combat on your turn you may pay two and gruel uh, if you do double target creatures power until end of turn that creature must be blocked this combat if able so there's the fight commander people have always wanted that specifically cares about fighting and the colors that care about fighting <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that is also just a really good ability just like oh my stuff got blocked I'll draw a card, but also, yeah, you can play a bunch of little small fight spells. Um, Reminds me a bit of Feather, where Feather makes combat tricks a lot more interesting, the stuff that we usually relegate to just being, like, I don't know, limited draft chaff. Now the fight spells uh, are actually decent in commander too, more than they ever were. And that's that's really great. I just I love that. Like you kept on you you introduced this particular commander by saying speaking of stuff that people have wanted for a while, that's how I feel about so many of these commanders. Yeah. That's why I like this product
0: so much. Yeah I mean there there are a lot of just new archetypes that are getting a bunch of boosts when it comes to a commander that really fits that theme. Uh Joey like you said like there's a bunch of one and two mana fight spells out there. Uh put some death touch creatures on the battlefield and just having those fight spells cantrip. That's a pretty powerful synergy right there. And honestly, like, probably pretty frustrating to play against if you're like (laughs) me and you play a bunch of creature decks. Uh, It's interesting. I I like how it's playing around. It does think that it's, you know, if you have five creatures get blocked, you only draw one card, but it's probably good that green doesn't need to draw a million cards. So I understand why there's a cap of just one per instance on it, though.
2: But if you want to draw a million cards, After you double the creature's power, you have you know traditional cool green things, Return of the Wild, Speaker, or um, Life's Legacy, Life's Legacy, Greater Good, things like that. So there's a ton of ways to take advantage of that doubling. Um, In addition, Red has just like instant speed combat tricks to double creatures' power and. You can use that ability a second time if you happen to have enough mana to do an additional combat step. You can just reactivate it again, (laughs) doubling your double if you're in that position. You're in the right colors for that kind of thing. So there's all kinds of weird stuff you can do with this
1: deck. Uh, that's really great. Look forward to other spells like Azuri's Predation too, because that is a great fight wrath. You will only draw one card for all of the creatures fighting, but I mean, that's also still really good. And a bunch of enraged dinosaurs like Polyraptor can also be a lot of fun if you were intentionally making them fight. And I also think <laughs> oh, that Kogla, the Titan Ape, slams right into this deck, both to fight and to protect Naeth. So, you know, that'll be a whole lot of fun. And these, these commanders have been awesome, like really cool. These are the ones that can do two color decks because of the mana symbols that are in the text box of each of the cards. But there's also a bunch of mono-colored commanders. So let's get to those now. Our first mono-colored commander is Bruvac the Grandiloquent, which is a delicious name to say, by the way. Three mana for a 1-4 human advisor. If an opponent would mill one or more cards, they mill twice that many instead. So, you know, you get to mill your opponents, put a bunch of stuff from their deck into the graveyard, and it is milling season doubling season mill ah i mean this is so cool and off the bat we have to acknowledge that yes you can traumatize a player for double the traumatize and indeed that is amazing
0: so i'm going to be honest this was the first time i read bruvac's full card name and grandiloquent is a mouthful um (laughs) kind of like the mouthful that you're going to get when you traumatize somebody with bruvac in play (laughs) However, the flavor text is succinct and perfect. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
1: that is absolutely true. And furthermore, yeah, that's, that's absolutely great. And I suspect that the name Grandiloquent may be an insult that you guys hurl my way when I get onto one of my talking too <laughs> long sprees. Uh, but with that said, I think that this is very interesting. The fact that it is monocolor does hamper it a slight bit because most of the mill commanders that we see tend to be in two colors. It slots really nicely into those, but we do have a lot of mill effects available in black that it might feel a little bit sad to miss out on here. Um, the other thing that I do think might hurt Bruvac a, just, just a smidge um, is that the, the fi- there are five commanders among the top 21 commanders of all time that specifically use the graveyard themselves. Commanders like Muldrotha or Kess, or Marin. So that is something to be aware of. Milling enemies can be to their benefits. So you want to watch out for that.
0: I mean, I th- I think the biggest downfall is that Bruvac is monocolor, but you are right. There, there are so many commanders out there. Even just incidental ways to play some graveyard interaction, uh, make sure that you're getting some sort of value from it. You can do that in pretty much any color now. So it wouldn't surprise me if this kind of backfires more often than not, but it is a massive, very splashy effect. So when I sit down and see somebody playing that, it's not going to surprise me in the slightest.
1: Yeah, not at all. It works great in Phoenix because, oh yeah. my goodness, that's going to be so good. But also, at the moment, we only have 786 decks that use persistent partitioners, according to Rec. And I am delighted to see that number skyrocket after Bruvac comes around.
2: And Bruvec is an advisor, which is very- very, very relevant in Petitioner decks. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So speaking of mono blue commanders, uh, we have Ormos Archive Keeper, uh, six mana, so it's a Sphinx. That's nice and cheap for a Sphinx, usually they're in the, the 8 to 12 range. Um, <laughs> it has flying for a 5-5. <laughs> if you would draw a card while your library has no cards in it, instead put five plus one plus one counters on Ormos Archive Keeper, and you can spend one blue blue to discard three cards with different names and... And draw five cards. So presumably the goal there is you would attempt to do that when you had no cards in your library, which would then put um, fifteen counters on on your commander and just dome be 25 somebody Daniel? for damage. Would it be um, twenty five? Twenty five cards. Sorry, yes. Oof. So just dome somebody and kill them. Yeah, that
1: that is a very powerful activated ability there because you know singleton. The only thing you have to watch out for are islands. You can use snow covered islands and regular islands to help get around that. I use that trick in my Titania deck when I'm looking for different named lands with my Field of the Dead, which is really, really great. That was a trick from Matt. Thank you so much, Matt. Um, Or Joey, you can just not run many basics. There's also that. (laughs) You can just do that. (laughs) There's also totally that. With that said, this is pretty easily my least favorite of the new commanders. It is a very interesting ability, um, especially, again, if you get infinite mana, this is the kind of commander that can probably just immediately rip through your deck, or you can use an Enter the Infinite uh, to just, you know, draw all of the cards that way, but with that said, it seems slightly redundant given the strategy. Um, Laboratory Maniac is already, you know, a pretty well-worn strategy. That and Thassa's Oracle. Um, and, and this one's a little bit tricky because if you do get to that point where Ormos is specifically the commander, the the card on the field that is preventing you from dying if you would draw, you know, the no cards in your library, Ormos going away means that you will basically immediately die. So that's just a very tricky line to walk if you are trying to do this particular strategy.
0: See, this is the type of commander that I think I'll, if you're on the of the format that is on the casual side i know all three of us we are not on that but that half of the the player base of commander is going to love this because it's such a like the achievement unlocked type commander where as soon as you first kill somebody with this and you have no cards in your library uh like you're gonna see like a little xbox icon that pops up and says (laughs) like you you get a thousand gamer points like it's such a neat challenge and it's laboratory maniac is probably like one of the to me at least one of the least exciting ways to win so if somebody kills me with this like i know that there was a lot of work that was put into it and i i I'll, i mean i'll be sad that i lost but i'll be impressed and and actually probably kind of glad that this happened because it's such a cool challenge that the, the more casual at like side of of the format is going to love this and and i think it's going to be fairly well built i don't think i'm not gonna agree with you on the least popular or actually, sorry, your least favorite. Um, I think it's interesting. I think it's fun. Um, is it powerful? It's kind of glass cannony, but I think there's a lot of people out there that will like this. And yeah. I, I do think three mana to pitch three and draw five is yeah, that's probably a fine good enough.
2: Yeah, to to like looking at at a someone who has a Sphinx tribal deck, that's probably good enough to get a slot in that deck. Like ignoring the fact that I will never ever use that first ability. Um, I just have no way in that deck. I'm not going to change it to to hit it. That's probably good enough for a SWAT in a five five body.
1: Yeah, that's that's a great point. Is that that is definitely the thing to focus on, not necessarily the first part, which is a a commander As a commander, I agree, it's, it's relatively narrow. Yeah. Uh, but another thing that you can do, just one last note on Ormos, if you want to make extra use of the graveyard, you could mm-hmm. use cards like Spell Twine or cards with Flashback to make use of the stuff that you discard. I don't know, just throwing it out there. Graveyard <laughs> propaganda, you know me. Uh, let's move on to our next commander. Matt, I know that
0: you've got um, a special affinity for how adorable this one is. For For Tiny Bones? Trinket Thief, of course I do. Uh, Tiny Bones is a Legendary Skeleton Rogue for one and a black. Uh, Tiny Bones is a one, two. And at the beginning of each end step, if an opponent discarded a card this turn, you draw a card and you lose one life. You can also pay four black black to have each opponent with no cards in hand lose 10 life. Now I'm not worried about any of the abilities, but Tiny Bones just, I, I want to like imagine that this like, secretly just a mega powerful character in lore and we're just seeing like a little glimpse of what tiny bones can do
1: (laughs) this makes me want to sing the doom song i tell you what uh this the the notes that i I believe uh i think it was me who wrote this here this is adorable this is powerful this is an actual closer for the discard strategies it might become the most popular legend from the set of as a result question mark
0: and it will be miserable to play against (laughs) Oh, it, it probably will absolutely be playable. But I I mean, you just play a bunch of like Necrogen Mist type of effects. And even then, you get your own Phyrexian Arena on every player's turn, which is is very good because it's at the beginning of each end step. So you can do this on opponent's turns, even if they loot something away and you get to draw cards. So even just as a an early two-mana creature, it's a pretty powerful effect. Now, one thing I will note, Nath decks are also
2: miserable to play against, but they tend to kind of self-regulate it's not like they're miserable in a way that nobody notices, they're miserable in a way where the person who has no hand for seven turns makes it very, very <laughs> clear to you that it's miserable and they don't like you and then they go key your car um, after you leave the shop. So you're aware it's a, it's annoying and therefore it's been my experience, people tend to either take NAF decks apart very quickly or the playgroup is cool with it. And that kind of balances out I would guess the same thing will happen with Tiny Bones where people will either be fine with it or the playgroup will make their displeasure known and it will eventually go away. So that's what I'm going to guess will happen here.
1: Yeah, the, a, a thing too the, to note, like Matt, you had mentioned that this getting multiple discards on other uh, other people's turns. That is a certain strategy, but personally, I feel like the most powerful thing to do is to just make everyone discard all at once so you can start pumping mana into the activated ability as soon as possible instead of waiting to draw a lot of cards. So cards like Myogen of Knight's Reach or uh, Mind Slicer— stuff that just immediately makes everyone discard is just I think going to work out a lot better not only because I think that's more powerful to immediately get to the point where you can start activating the 10 life loss ability but also it won't prolong everyone else's suffering yes though if you're into that That's fine, if you love being cruel to your enemies, that is, I I, I get get it, it's a skeleton that's gonna, yeah, that makes sense. But the the strategy does seem a bit more powerful if you go right for everyone discarding as soon as possible.
2: Well, um, let's jump over to uh, Muxus Goblin uh, Vente next. Um. Four four red red for a goblin noble. Uh, He's 4-4. When Amuxus Goblin Grande enters the battlefield, (laughs) reveal the top six cards of your library and put all goblin creature cards, with converted mana cost five or less, from among them onto the battlefield, and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Whenever Amuxus attacks, it gets plus one, plus one, to end a turn for each other goblin you control. That's pretty good. Um, It has the same problem that every mono-red goblin legend will have till the end of time where it's not Cranko, um, But it's going to be really, really good in any goblin deck you build. I don't know if you want to make this your commander, because I, I feel like there's probably um, a couple better options, both named Cranko. <laughs> but if you're playing that goblin deck, it's going to be great in that deck, I think. I mean, the the Krenko thing, especially
1: Krenko is blisteringly fast, but I like that this offers up a a commander for goblins that isn't quite as fast and is also still original. And, you know, again, this is another commander that you can use Conjurer's Closet on, Uh, or the card Molten Echoes can be really cool for duplicating goblins and getting a bunch of these effects. Um, Like, I I actually think that this might stand a bit more of a chance against Krenko because Krenko has a history of just being a fast deck almost more than it has a history of being a goblin deck. And so people who... uh, feel a bit more resonant. They want the Goblin experience. I think Muxus is going to be a, a really great outlet for that. I'm, I personally prefer Muxus for that reason because it isn't as obnoxiously fast.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it, the the biggest downfall of, of Muxus is that it's not Krenko, but the biggest benefit that it has is that it's not Krenko. You Very mean, sure? If you sit across the table from somebody that, that flips over a Krenko deck, you immediately know you, you can't let that person get, you know, untapped twice with Krenko. Otherwise, you're just dead. Um, Muxus... You're going to see that and you, okay, sure, yeah. Uh, but I think this might be just as explosive. Like going six cards deep and getting anything that costs five or less, like there's what, maybe like three goblins that cost more than five. So you're going to be able to get a decent amount of value out of this. And if you have anything like uh, Erratic Portal where you can bounce it back to your hand and, and play it from your hand again, mm-hmm. that's going to be able to generate a decent amount of value. So I I like this. It's it's interesting um, and it's going to come without the reputation that Cranko Mob Boss has where it's just absolutely insane um, and you're going to get targeted downplaying it.
2: Well, it's, it's also more resilient. Like, that, that we've seen that Cranko deck where they shoot their shot and the board wipe happens and they're just out of gas. Um, this doesn't have that problem. You can continuously, you know, as long as you can recast Muxus, you're going to get those goblins back to kind of rebuild the army and take a crack at it again. So it's definitely just going to have the ability to stay longer in games than that Cranko deck that gets shut down early and just can't, back in
0: well yeah. and, and something that muxus can do too with that second ability you can commander damage people out with this very easily like it's not that unheard of to have 10 15 goblins in play all of a sudden sure. give it you know put a rogues passage out into play and muxus can commander damage people maybe in one shot i don't think that's going to be too hard to do so that's something kranko never does so just a different angle yeah. of attack i yes the two mana in mono red is is it may as well be 20 more mana <laughs> having having my own mono red deck but um i i like muxus it's interesting and it's yes it's not the the s tier goblin commander but I, I think it's probably top three.
1: Oh yeah, I'm, I'm loving this, especially if you can do some, there, there's still a lot of nasty stuff that he's able to do. He may not be mm-hmm. as fast as Kranko, but my goodness, a goblin recruiter is going to set up Muxus so obnoxiously oh. well uh, yeah. in conjunction to maybe set up the <laughs> specifically the conspicuous Snoop combo, which can do a bunch of really nasty stuff with Kiki-Jiki off the top of the deck. Um, so there are definitely still some of those uh, other outlets if you want to do some really crafty and mean goblin stuff too. But yeah, Matt, I love the way that you put it. Like he isn't Kranko, so that might hurt his numbers, but he also isn't Kranko, which might really help his numbers, and I really, really like that. All right, we've got one more mono-red commander, and this is zerzoth Chaos Rider, a 3-mana, 2-3 devil. Whenever an opponent draws their first card each turn, if it's not their turn, you create a 1-1 one, one red devil creature token with, when it dies, it deals 1 damage to a target, and whenever one or more devils you control attack one or more players, you and those players each draw a card and then discard a card at random. I think I heard Dana's brain break there because I know he doesn't <laughs> like the chaos that this particular commander implies, but like again, devil tribal and some chaos stuff happening. Like a new door has been opened. So I really like it. Even if playing against it might be a little funny, uh, but what
2: are you guys at? What do you think is Zerzoth? It, it's chaos, but I do think you can grab a hold of the reins in the chaos just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes it much more tempting than the chaos where you're just throwing cards in the air and seeing one lands face up. <laughs> um, so I, I do like that aspect. I think I feel like you have some control for what's going on, and that makes it much more attractive.
0: Yeah, the fact that it's it's just a loot basically. It, it's not manual dexterity. This card isn't a nightmare to play over streams. Uh, I, this card is fine. Um, it is kind of nifty that you know all the people that finally wanted some sort of legendary version of of Tybalt, they finally have something like that. So you're going to be able to make yeah. a lot of a lot of devils. Um, and I don't think we've ever seen it like something that supports devil tribal before. So, I mean, it's fine. If you've, if you've been itching for that deck, here's your legend.
1: I think, too, an important thing to note is that Xurzoth decks may look really friendly at first. They'll be running probably cards like Temple Bell or Miko Koro, which help everyone else draw cards so that Xurzoth can uh, create the devils all in one swoop with that uh, particular first ability to create devils because you're making other people draw the cards. Um, but the good Xurzoth... Giveth and the good Zerzoth taketh away, too, because the chaos that could potentially happen with other cards like Burning Inquiry to also help out with making enemies draw cards, that's something to watch out for. In addition to the fact that I'm fairly certain his final, his last triggered ability fuels his first triggered ability. So you'll really want to watch out
2: for that type of engine, too. Uh, My my kind of final thoughts on basically all of these commanders, um, they all feel to me like they have a role. And that's definitely easier to do in this kind of set where you don't have to worry about standard or worry about how how the draft is going to be affected. That's where we get those throwaway commanders where you're like, I don't know why anyone would ever play this particular commander. It does nothing and it isn't good. Um, All of these feel like they really have a specific niche. And even if we don't like them, we can see what the deck is and how they would get played and who would play them. And that feels really good to go over an entire list of commanders and just be able to visualize how they're going to get played and when they're going to get played.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, "Eh, I don't know if Zerzoth is for me, but I know exactly who it is for. I see something like that. Or like maybe, you know, Emil isn't necessarily the kind of thing that someone else might like, but oh man, I absolutely love it. Um, So yeah, you can totally see the person that it's for. Um, Based on some preliminary polling that we did of over a thousand responders, we actually got a kind of decent idea of where these commanders might be falling in popularity order too. And I will say that these numbers did surprise me. Um, The most... uh, Uh, Commonly voted for commander that people were most eager to build was Nayeth of the Dire Hunt, the Gruul fight commander, followed up by Tiny Bones, which I expected to be number one personally, and then Ineas the Gale Force, and Ormos and Muxus were in last place. Um, So that is something sort of to look out for. By the time that EDHREC starts collecting data, most likely by the time that this episode airs, we may see if those commanders are still in that order. But I found that kind of interesting. Do you guys think that you would have guessed that those were the commanders near the top of the popularity, or do you think that they might eventually become something different in the future what do you think Uh,
2: the one the one that jumps out at me is is emil the blessed um and i feel like that's the kind of commander that probably is going to get played by people who don't go to edh rec and don't post deck lists online and don't Mm -hmm. take polls that's going to be a kitchen table kind of edh commander um very popular against the really among the really casual crowds so i'm not surprised it's that low but i think the reality of how often it's going to play it is probably greater than what the numbers will bear out
0: i think the same kind of goes for ormos it, it's one of the, definitely one of the sure. more casual aspect um types of cards uh, seeing xerzoth at number four actually surprised me i didn't think there were that many people really clamoring to see a uh a devil tribal commander but here we are you know Zerzoth being number four in that list uh, that's probably the most surprising to me i think it'll be built for sure but uh, beating out some of these other folks, um, that's that is the surprising part. and even you know Bruvac the grandiloquent as we as we say, uh, sure you have your your pers- persistent petitioners, but I don't really know what else I want to put that at the head of a 99. So seeing that at number five in the top half, that's also fairly surprising because that, that seems to me one of the more narrow uh, types of commanders. Sure, you put it in the 99 in a lot of decks, but yeah, putting it at the head of a deck, I... Wouldn't have expected that.
1: Yeah, there is definitely that relationship where commanders that can go in the 99. Uh, sometimes that will eat into the numbers where they could have been commanders themselves. Um, but yeah, I just I'm I'm. It's great to see the interest that's in these. And again, like they just keep on opening doors. Oh, I love it so much. But these are just the legendary creatures from the set. There are also some uh, new original cards from the set too. So we want to go over a few of them that we think might have a good splash in EDH that might see the most numbers from this set. Uh, let's get started with our white card blessed sanctuary
0: so blessed sanctuary is an enchantment for three white white that reads prevent all non-combat damage that would be dealt to you and creatures you control and whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control you create a 2-2 white unicorn creature token I can see all the blasphemous acts being cast with this out and (laughs) lots of giggling.
1: Uh, Giggling indeed. I was sort of expecting that this might be kind of confined to blink decks, stuff like uh, Rune and Brago and of course Emil who want to, uh, you know, continually blink the creatures and then bring them back and make some more tokens um but blasphemous act stuff like that it seems like there might be more places than just the blinking for this enchantment
0: oh yeah i i want to put this in you know a pyrohemia or a pestilence deck that seems insane too or i mean chain reaction any i mean mono red has so many damage based sweepers being able to turn them into a one-sided board wipe or even earthquake effects because it prevents damage that would be dealt to you as well that's Pretty nifty, I think.
2: Somebody in our play group should definitely build a Pestilence deck. I think that's a great idea, Mm. and you can run this card. Uh. I think it was uh, you. I, I think, think that you're the one who did that. Well, the thing I'll note about this in a Pest One's deck, as I have a bunch of these effects in there, I don't think any of them do both. They either prevent damage to you or from damage to your creature. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they don't prevent damage to both of them. So that's really nice having both of those things on one card.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this, this naturally has a home right away in Firesong and Sunspeaker decks, like yeah. all seven of them out there. But this is what? a shoe-in for Firesong and Sunspeaker decks. Seven, there are hundreds of Fire Song. There, There are dozens of us. There's dozens, dozens of us. There are hundreds. Oh my goodness. Yes, the, are there, are, there no. are a decent amount of Fire Song and Sunspeaker decks out there, but I, I think this is just absolutely one of the first cards they need to be adding in there. It's, it's yeah. so good.
1: Yeah, because taking advantage of the damage stuff there, that is a great way to make the... Um, to make what would be symmetrical effects very not symmetrical and that is right there a very great strength of white's part of the color pie that we can learn to leverage more often and so I'm very excited to see what people can do with an effect like this. Just like you mentioned Dana, it's unusual to see both the prevention for you and your creatures on the same card and there are totally going to be ways to take advantage of that. Uh, Let's move on to our next card that might show up in some of the 99s. Um, The card that we want to talk about here is Scholar of the Lost Trove, a 7 mana blue sphinx with flying. It is a 5-5 and when it enters the battlefield, you may cast target instant sorcery or artifact card from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. If an instant or sorcery spell cast this way would be put into your graveyard this turn, you exile it instead. This is kind of an interesting one. I think when we first saw it, we were kind of like, ooh, this could be really splashy, until we looked back at some of the other cards that sort of exist with a similar enough ability, and their numbers don't really support the idea that Scholar of the Lost Trove will see as much play. Chancel of the Spires, for example, is a sphinx that steals from an opponent's graveyard, and that only shows up in about 1,500 decks uh, there's also Torrential Gearhulk, which has a similar-ish ability to this one. And that appears in about 5,600, which is really cool. But that one also has Flash, and it has some Artifact synergies that it can specifically enable. So I feel like the numbers aren't necessarily going to be in the stars for Scholar of the Lost Trove. What do you guys think, though?
0: This is just a, a worse version of Diluvian Primordial, right? I mean, it's the same mana cost. Uh, it's 5-5 five, five with Flying for 7 double blue, but Deluvian primordial, primordial Scales, so you get to hit everything, something out of every opponent's graveyard, whereas this is just one single spell, uh, I don't see it getting a ton of play at all.
2: Yeah, and it's been my experience that those, those blink decks that want to abuse this kind of thing tend to want to loop things, or at the very least, they want to be able to repeatedly cast the same thing every single turn. So losing the spell also, I think, makes a big difference here. Um, I think it's a it's a fine card that has too many better variants that I think people that would run this will run instead.
0: But it yeah. is Sphinx Tribal for you, Dana. Um, you yeah, go. but like I,
2: even in that deck I was looking at, I just don't yeah. think it does enough.
0: Yeah, I mean, Diluvian Primordial is only played in eight thousand decks, yeah. so I mean that that's kind of the direct competition that it has. In addition to Chance with Spires and all those other cards, so if you need like a fifth version of this effect, sure. Right. But I, I don't think many decks need a fifth version.
1: Yeah. And and by the way, just to clarify there, when you said only uh, 8,000 decks for Deluvium Primordial, like that is a, a nice healthy
2: number, but it should be played in more. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right, let's move on to our next one. Uh, next we have Witch of the Moors, um, a three black black for a human warlock. Death touch on a 4-4 four, four body here. Uh, but the important part, at the beginning of your end step, if you gained life this turn... Each opponent sacrifices a creature, and you return up to one target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. That's going to go in a, basically every Eloro deck out there, and if it doesn't, it's because you haven't opened one in a pack yet.
1: <laughs> yeah olero is in love because the eminence means you already are gaining that life for sure but there's also plenty of other life gain commanders that are going to love this because it doesn't just get you back something it also makes people sacrifice creatures you can use obsidot as another commander that also is pretty much guaranteed to gain you life every turn um eily eternal pilgrim can sacrifice a creature gain you life and then the witch of the moors will bring it back uh, maybe it's just because this card says sacrifice on it but I'm in love. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very a good. really neat card. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, it, it is nice, too, that it's at the beginning of your end step. So it's, it's not something you have to wait and untap with. You know, a lot of these types of abilities are at the beginning of your upkeep. If you gained life, um, this is at the beginning of your end step. So you can get benefit from it from casting this on your turn and then passing the turn.
1: Yeah. Or if just if you give your board lifelink with a, an effect like Whip of Erebos, for example, and then you can attack people and then if any of your creatures die, then this one will, you'll have gained life. You can get those creatures back. Like I just, uh, the circle of life and death. It's absolutely beautiful. This I feel like is going to be one of those cards that I forget exists until I play against a life gain player and then they completely blow me out with this um, and it's going to be absolutely delicious. So don't sleep on this one. This one has a lot of power that it is punched into, uh, especially if you can use that ability multiple times uh, throughout a couple of rounds. That's going to be totally devastating oh and speaking of devastating um our next card looks awesome and completely rad as heck
0: it it is pretty rad it's also pretty red Uh, i don't know if you knew that or not but it's immolating gyre it is four red red for a sorcery that says immolating gyre deals x damage to each creature and planeswalker you don't control where x is the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard uh, speaking of those red-based damage or red damage-based board wipes, um, this is one of those. Uh, what do you guys think about this big, splashy mythic?
2: I, I think all the cards in this set feel very fair. Um, you know, you're talking about the the life gain uh, um, warlock. That's a really good card, but you need to have something in your deck to enable it. This is a really good card, but there's times you are going to get burned because the turn before someone dropped the Bajookabog, and then you top-deck this, and you're like, okay, well, it's, it does me no good. Yeah, But it's also an absolute blowout sometimes. So it's a really good card that isn't an auto-run in in red decks necessarily, but it's a good in a whole bunch of decks. It, it's, it's a really, really good design. I, I love the card, and it feels... It's fair. I'll use the word again. It feels like a really fantastic but fair card. Yeah, there are a lot of Spellslinger-type
1: decks that might be a little bit too quick for an effect like this. Things like Kess or Jaleva tend to be yeah. very, very stormy, so they might not have time to pause for an ability like this. But with that said, the text of, you know, the number of instants and sorcery cards in your graveyards, that, that's something that we're seeing a whole lot more often as they design these days. There are different cards like Crackling Drake and now Riel, for example, that also tend to increase in size off of this. This isn't quite a Chandra's Ignition, which shows up in like nearly 10,000 decks at this point. Um, but this is a great option for the Spellslinger decks that I'm just very, very excited and terrified to see them, uh, to see them do this basically um and, and i like that they're tapping into power based off of the spells you've already cast rather than the usual design space for spellslinger, which is stuff like gutter snipe where you have to play it and then start casting spells this lets you go move your back move your deck in both of those directions and that's really exciting to see
0: well and one um, thing to to compare this to like you said uh chandra's ignition this doesn't require a creature on the on the battlefield this can't be you know, interacted with near as easily as Chandra's Ignition. Uh, my favorite part about it though, that I'm not sure Dana's gonna like, is the damage is tripled by fir- Fiery Emancipation, which is another <laughs> big splashy mythic Dana wasn't so fond of. Um, but I, I, I do it. I do like this card a lot. Like I, I do like that it doesn't require you to have a creature on on board like Chandra's Ignition does. So it is a little more versatile there. I, I also
2: don't think you need to just think in terms of spell slinger decks. There's a whole lot of other decks that tend to lean very heavily in instant sorceries without doing spell slinger mm-hmm. stuff. I was just looking through my my mean and den Lands Matter deck. There's a whole lot of you know nature's lore cultivate kind of spells in that deck. That will very easily hit me, you know, seven or eight damage off the emulating, emulating Gyre that's going to basically wipe the board without even having to lean into that archetype. It's it's just a card that's going to do good.
0: I was just thinking that too. Yeah, um, Angry Omnath yeah. would love this because I use so many, you know, Sky Shroud Claim and all those types of ramp spells that even if this is just going for, you know, five or six enough to... You know, wipe the board, get my elementals off the battlefield, get those death triggers. uh, That's that's a pretty good effect right there.
1: Okay, fellas, we're going to move on now to what is easily the best and brightest and most beautiful card. I am so obnoxiously excited about this next one. This is Branching Evolution, a three-mana enchantment. If one or more plus-one counters would be put on a creature you control, twice that many plus-one counters are put on that creature instead. I, I want to sing. Yeah, hallelujah. This is so, so exciting. This is a this is half of doubling season and it's still an amazing half. For some context on how popular this effect can be, doubling season, which doubles your tokens and the counters that you put on stuff that shows up in 16,600 decks according to EDHREC. But Harden Scales, which is just a simple plus one for your uh, plus one counters, that shows up in 1200. This has a home. We already know all of the homes. We know that Joey wants it for his Ray Hahn deck. We know that the Attraxa plus one players are going to absolutely love it. We know that Peer and Toothy is going to go crazy and that Gave Guru of Spores also probably can go infinite with this as he always is wont to do. So there's not even too much to
2: say about it, except that I'm so excited. I'm so stupidly excited it's a better doubling season in in a lot of decks there's a lot of decks where you don't care about the the token portion and, and it kind of feels bad to pay five mana to get that uh, effect when all you care about is the counters this is a better doubling season in a
0: whole bunch of decks i you know i'm I'm just really glad that joey's really branching out as it were <laughs> stop um, no okay <laughs> evolving as a evolved. player I mean, yes.
1: play, play, uh, this it, it, in Mohu, play this in Mobu, play this in Skullbriar. We know the decks where it's an all-star, but it's such an all-star.
0: I mean, I think all of us have some sort of deck that that would play this. I mean, plus one plus yep. one counters is one of the most played themes, according to EDHREC. There's there's tons and tons of plus one plus one counter decks out there. Uh, and I mean, all three of us have one. So yeah, it's it's really cool to see. I, I like that this basically is an enchantment compared to, uh, was it Hydra's Growth that came out in Theros Beyond Death? Where that's only an aura, and granted, it, it puts counters on things, you know, just for that one creature. Um, this affecting your whole team for the same mana cost, and not dying when you know you lose that one creature. It's 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 very very powerful, folks. Yeah, very I mean, powerful. We,
2: we could list off twenty plus one counter commanders that want this, oh, yeah. and we'd probably miss twenty. Like we would. There's that many we would leave off. There's just so many out there that care about this kind of effect. This is just a slam dunk in eight, ton of decks. Yeah, yeah. uh, plus
1: one counters is the fifth most popular theme according to EDH Rex data behind stuff like artifact theme decks and stuff like that. Um, So we know that this has a home and I'm, I I can't, of of all of the stuff in the set, I didn't think that this set could continue to impress me the way that it does, but the commanders are amazing, the reprints are phenomenal and the new designs feel fair and delightful and I just uh, I I will not be able to stop gushing. So Matt, finish us off with the last card that we want to talk about while I just stare at branching evolution very fondly.
0: (laughs) I mean, you, you want to talk about cards that are fair and wonderful and powerful. Uh, Allosaur Shepherd is just that. So it's just a simple green for a 1-1 one, one Elf Shaman. Allosaur Shepherd can't be countered. Green spells you control can't be countered. And then you can pay four green green and have until end of turn, each Elf creature you control becomes base power and toughness, uh, a 5-5, five, five, and becomes a dinosaur in addition to its other creature types. Um, I'm not really big on the, the activated ability. Like, that's a lot of mana to only affect your Elves. But man, being able to have all your green spells you know, not be countered, that's great. I mean, th- there's so many different cards that want to have this in there. So many decks, I should say, that want to have this in there. Now, yes, elf tribal decks, they're going to have a lot of elves on the battlefield. This will be powerful you know, to have that activated ability. But even then, just being a one-one-for-one one one that can't be countered, and then all of your green spells can't be countered, that is nuts.
2: Yeah, uh, Um, I've seen a lot of competitive players talking about the utility of this card for nothing other than the can be countered portion of it to protect mm-hmm. combo spells. I mean, it's it's worth it in those kind of decks just for that ability. I, I don't have any place that wants to run it, um, but it's it's going to be a very Sylvan Safekeeper-esque um a protection spell in a lot of decks i'm surprised to hear that you don't want to
1: play this one particularly because i know that you have an edric spymaster of trust deck would this not be a pretty interesting way to make that a finisher for the deck
2: um, maybe, I, I have a ton of finishers in there already, and I don't have that many elves. It's only going to buff my elves and make them 5-5, five five, and it's just not that many in the grand scheme of things. Um, and green spells, I, I run enough counter spells in that deck anyway, I don't know if I am worried about anyone countering green spells for the most part, so it's just not quite good enough there.
0: Gotcha. I mean, being being able to feel safe when you cast Triumph of the Hordes, or you do a finale it's nice. of Devastation for 10, or whatever you, you're trying to do, like... All, like you invest all this mana and you can get blown out pretty easily. Uh, having this as protection is so good. Like they would have to kill it in response, then counter it. And not everybody's going to be able to do that.
1: Yeah. I, this says green spells and not creature spells. And I'm going to forget that yes. an
2: embarrassing yeah. number of times. Uh, and I that, hope
0: you do against me specifically. <laughs> I'm very sure. And, and I'll,
2: I'll I'm also note I'm probably not playing that Edric deck at the level where you're that worried about I think if you were maybe sure. playing the absolute peak CDH level, that's probably a different story.
1: Yeah, but for now, definitely the Monogreen Azuri or Frey Elise decks, um, they're going to have uh, a whale of a time. Elves are the fourth most popular tribe. Uh, so, yeah, this also definitely has a home. And and that's really where so many of these fall down is that there are cards that have a dedicated home that makes them exciting inclusions. Uh, or there are cards that are opening brand new doors. And that's so great. It's so great, in fact, that I forgot that we actually have one last cycle of cards to talk about. So let's clean up those before uh, I move on to
2: Wax Philosophical again about how much I love this stinking set. <laughs> Uh, last but not least, we have a cycle of five different lands, all that have Thriving in, in front of the, the land type. Um, thriving Isle, for example, enters the battlefield tapped. As it enters the battlefield, choose a color other than blue, and you can tap it for blue or a mana of the chosen color. So basically, there's one of each, you know, Plain Forest, Swamp, Mountain, um, and obviously Island. And when it comes into play, you pick whatever color is most useful to you, and it can make that color. Um They're very interesting, and they're going to be very, very useful in this environment. I don't know if they're maybe that good in Commander unless you're playing on a budget, which a lot of people are. And if you are playing
0: with a budget mana base, those are pretty decent dual lands on a budget. Well, yeah, like you said, Dana, like, these are great on a budget. Now, like, depending on how much Jumpstart actually gets opened, like, in this time that we're living in, we'll see, but... If you are playing three plus colors, I think this is a fine choice because I can't count the amount of times that, like I've needed a, a third color and I drew a guild gate for the second color that I already have. Yeah. Uh, so having you being able to pick the color that you need at any given time, if you're on a budget, budget mana base, which like you said, a lot of people are, this is yeah. going to be a good addition. Um, you know, in, in those five color decks, in those four color decks, these are going to be pretty good. I know Joey, you have some thoughts, but I I'm a really big fan of these just giving people more, you know, 10-cent tools to up, upgrade their mana base. I, I'm I'm never going to say no to these.
1: Yeah, no, I really love the design, especially for the nature of this product. I do feel as though if I'm in a three, a four, a five color deck, and I am um definitely on a more budget mana base, the Vivid Lands still catch my eyes before these particular ones, um, because the Vivid Lands you can remove the two uh, counters mm-hmm. over time to get colors that you need in case those color needs change. Um, but even then, I still do appreciate the design. I'm not confident in their numbers necessarily, um, in those particular budget mana bases, but I'm never going to be mad that they're offering up new types of designs that are this clever. Um, And and I think actually my personal favorite place that I would like to see some of these uh, see play is in any deck that, purposefully steals stuff from their enemies. I'm thinking of yeah. uh, Gonti, for example, because sure. they take a whole bunch of stuff from your enemies and the stuff that you take might have an activated ability that costs red, which you don't have access to. So you can play the thriving land in black that you can then choose red uh, to be able to activate some of those abilities. Or maybe send triplets might also have fun with it too. Um, so that's also, a, I think, a fun place too. Like even if I have kind of a, a thumbs down attitude, like, eh, I'm not confident that these numbers will be good for the thriving lands. They still have niche homes that make them really really fun and exciting and 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 there's just oh man i cannot stop gushing about this
2: set
0: yeah this set combined with core 21 i mean it's just two haymakers back to back and i it's it's kind of overwhelming with all the good stuff that we're getting in addition to all the amazing reprints like this is just it's been a very busy month as far as matt trying to update (laughs) decks which you guys know is a stressful time to begin with it is (laughs)
2: Um, I I, I made the same comment, I think, when we did the core 21 set review, um, and I'll make it again here. These kind of sets really, really lend themselves to giving you pieces for a deck you already have in a way that the pre-cons maybe don't. You know, a lot of those cycling cards, for example, in the pre-con set... If you aren't playing a cycling deck, maybe don't do you any good. There's just so many things here because these sets are so open-ended uh, and not designed necessarily around like a specific mechanic or something. There's just so many pieces that you're like, I want this for this deck and that for that deck. That to me is something I really, really enjoy being having this just whole smorgasbord of cards that are going to be good in a bunch of different decks.
1: And, and specifically for me, what I love is that like when we discussed about pre-cons or something like that, it does sort of feel as though, oh, you know, pre-cons are a way to get someone started, but they don't have as much appeal to enfranchise players like us. A product like this is beautiful because it is appealing both to brand new yes. players and to enfranchise players. Because it like I, I feel so happy recommending, yes, I want folks to play this. I want to play this with my my family since we all play Magic, because it takes a lot of hassle out of deck building or drafting or something like that. It is appealing to me because of of really spicy reprints and some of the really uh, appealing new designs but also it feels like a great time for a new player who's just now being uh, introduced to all of these things too like that bridge and how masterfully that's been connected that's what I think really has me uh, so appreciative of this particular set not just that there's a whole bunch of ingenious stuff and I'm really excited about branching evolution you guys <laughs> but also because it merges two different groups of players in a way that I really wish that more products could do um, and I'm just I'm, I'm so excited for that to be something that we see uh, even more of I, I love this from top to bottom. Excellent design.
0: Yep. hundred percent. I, I agree so much that I, I don't know what else we can say because <laughs> we're just going to be repeating how... How nifty jumpstart is we
1: can find new adjectives for it instead of just nifty we can use like appealing and uh and cool and and stuff like that we can find brand new <laughs> and adjectives. and dandy ding, ding dang and dong dynamite ding. There, <laughs> there we go yeah jumpstart gets an enormous thumbs up from us we are so excited to see what yes. these cards will do in the edh format this is a great product i hope that it isn't getting lost amid the shuffle of there are a whole lot of products but all of all of these products this is one that has me so 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 excited um so i just ah it's it, it's, it's so good. It's ding, ding, dandy and nifty and all of those other things. So with those crazy words that you haven't heard in over five years now stuck in your head, what we're going to do is call this episode to a close. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining me. And if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt?
0: So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathimus55, that's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S five Don't forget, Wednesdays we are streaming at twitch.tv slash And if you are interested in joining EDHREC, uh, creating content, writing articles for us, make sure you go to EDHREC.com slash apply.
2: Indeed, and Dana. I just want to ask, Matt, are you guys hiring writers like myself that have a little experience but maybe aren't
0: that good? <laughs> uh, you you got to be acceptably good. All um, right. <laughs> That's why right. I'm not writing too many articles anymore. <laughs> okay, because the that makes sense. Part, it's
2: where I fall short. I, I feel your pain. Uh, you can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach, and you can hear me a couple times a week on my other podcast, uh, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You
1: can find me trying to compose myself after the hilarity that just happened. And you can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Uh, You can find the cast at EDHRECcast on Facebook and on Twitter. And if you have a question, a keen insight to EDHREC's data, or maybe a challenge to stats pick that you think that we ought to know about, you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Our thanks again to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And of course, to our sponsors, TCGplayer and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHRECcast. Trek or by visiting cardkingdom.com slash and that shows your support for the show. Listeners, which of these sets that are coming out nowadays are you most excited for and which of these commanders from Jumpstart has you most interested to build a new EDH deck? We would love to hear your thoughts. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.